Hi, it's Lynn Rosetto-Casper here with our special series of podcasts based on our new book, The Splendid Tables, How to Eat Supper, Recipes, Stories, and Opinions. Now, my co-author, and by the way, my partner in creating The Splendid Table and The Splendid Table's producer, Sally Swift, is here too. She's let me out again. Be careful. (laughs) This series of podcasts has been designed to really look at some of the more elemental things in the kitchen, some of the things we've figured out over the years. But for a more detailed guide to recipes, and recommendations, be sure to take a look at the book, How to Eat Supper. There's lots of stuff in there. You'll find information on it at SplendidTable.org. Now, the goal we have with this podcast is to give you something practical to work with when you're feeding yourself and the people that you care about. We want to talk about the logic behind the ingredients and the dishes so that you can riff on what you find in the market, what you feel like eating, and what you've got time to do. You know, I always talk about knowledge being power. Well, I'm sorry, knowledge is freedom. That's exactly right. Yep. That's what we need in every kitchen. This week, Lynn, believe it or not, I want to talk about baking. I think I'm going to faint. I know. You have to know that I am renowned for hating baking calls because I feel they're too precise and too boring for everyone. So I want to, I, I want to talk about baking, but I want to talk about it in a very limited way. I understand. And I want to I talk about the pitfalls. There are a couple things that really yeah. can screw you up oh, when yeah. you bake, and they're really, really simple. And, and the first thing, and you've taught me this. Is well, measuring, I learned it the hard way. Is measuring flour. All right, I'm going to preface this by saying what drives me crazy is when I read cookbooks and an author has not told you how they've measured the flour. This is why. In one cup of flour, depending on how you measure it, you can end up with five ounces of flour or three and a half ounces of that flour. That is enormous. It's enormous. You wonder why your cake turned out like a hockey puck and you'll never bake again, and it's not your fault. It's the idiot who wrote the recipe's fault. So here's basically how this works, okay? If you spoon your flour into a cup, don't tap it or whatever, okay, just lightly spoon it in and level it off, you're going to end up with somewhere around three and a half ounces of flour to the cup. Now, if you scoop your cup down into the flour sack, you know, so you come out with a heap of flour Mm -hmm, on top. mm -hmm. Again, don't tap. You don't Mm -hmm. want to pack it and level it off, that's about five ounces of flour. That's, by the way, often called dip and level. Right. So As opposed to so you spoon need to, and level. So the rule is you need to see, indeed, if the author of the recipe has indeed specified. Yeah. And you have to do exactly what they say. We in our book have done all dip and level. Dip and level. Absolutely. But do know that you really want to find that. And I always go to the index and look for flour, look for measuring. But if you don't know what the author has done, I would go for lightness rather than heaviness. So I would spoon. Right, instead of the dip and level. Instead of the, I would spoon so you end up with three and a half to four ounces okay. of flour in a cup. Now, the other thing that seems logical, but I escapes often us. don't escape yeah. us, is the idea that you have to use exactly the flour that's called for. Because flour varies <laughs> incredibly all purpose. Cake flour, self rising flour. Don't muck with what the writer is telling you right, to do. Right. I mean, the protein is what varies in those flours, and it's just you can't substitute. No, because for instance, if you use in a very delicate recipe, let's say a fragile cake recipe, if you, and it calls for cake flour, which has very little protein in it, it's very, they call it a soft flour. And by the way, in professional baking, bakers don't label bins. You can feel it 
The, is that true? Yeah. Oh, you I can love feel that the idea. graininess of a bread flour. You know, it's harder. Right. There's more protein. It's a different wheat. And you can feel the sort of cakey, velvetiness oh, of a cake flour. It's really That's interesting. Yeah. So the idea is when it says all-purpose, use all-purpose. When it says cake, use cake. And by the way, self-rising has baking powder in it. That's right. So you don't want to substitute that. <laughs> you'll you'll have a cake that perhaps will, shall we say, be more of a hockey puck when you're done. I love it. Yeah. The big issue. The biggest thing that can go wrong, I think, is oven betrayal. And, you know, we all assume that when you turn that knob to 350 degrees that that's what temperature that oven is at. I would bet you 97% of ovens are wrong. You need to invest in an oven thermometer. Throw it in. They're relatively inexpensive. You just keep it in the oven. You just check it. You learn your oven's personality and you work with it. Which one do you like to use? I like that little tailor that hangs. Although I have to say I go through quite a few of them. It's the one that looks like mercury is in it. It looks like it's mercury. It's not mercury. It's long. It can either hang from the rack or I can set it on the rack and I just leave it in there. It gets, it tends to get so black I can't read it after a while. Yeah, well, that's why I have to confess I travel with one because, you know, when you're visiting your friends, you travel with many things. Yes, I know. I know. But I mean, my flat spatula too. But when friends ask you to cook, balsamic vinegar. Yeah, well, a little olive oil, but who knows? (laughs) But when friends ask you to cook, and I've had that experience where I didn't realize the oven was off and it was a disaster. You know, Lynn Rosetto Casper, what is she really? She's a phony. She can't even roast. And it would turn out the oven was off. From then on, I travel with oh, my oven thermometer. pressure. Well, you never know. You never know. The <laughs> other great idea that I think when it comes to baking, and I am not a baker, so I need to make things pretty simple, is the idea of stockpiling things in the freezer. Yeah, and the thing about this, which is interesting, is first of all, already made up tart dough, pie shells, that kind of thing, freeze beautifully. And they'll bake better if you just take them right out of the freezer and bake them. But even one step back from that. You can have the recipe all put together ready to be mixed. and Ready you, to be mixed with the wet ingredients. That's right. And this is what I do around the holidays. I used to do a lot of pies. So what I do is, and I have a sort of set recipe. It's usually, let's say, one and a half cups of flour, one stick of butter, uh, a teaspoon of salt, for argument's sake. I cut the butter into big, mm-hmm. you know, into square chunks. I measure that. I put that in a plastic bag. I put the flour in that bag. I put the salt in that bag. And then I freeze it. And I mark it. It needs one egg and it needs three to four tablespoons of ice water. And if I want to, I can add sugar to it if I'm making something sweet. But the great thing about this is that when you go to make that and you work with frozen butter in a food processor, Mm -hmm. for instance, Mm -hmm. the butter holds together better so that when you bake it, especially if you keep it really cold, Mm -hmm. okay, you're going to get a flakier crust. And professional bakers do that all the time. They freeze butter all the time. So here you have this step totally done. Um, We did an interview years ago that we have... We still talk about it all the time. Um, a wonderful book by a scientist named Richard Cytowick. It's called The Man Who Tasted Shapes. And it's about synesthesia. Now, if you've ever been into a cookie and see a color or heard music in your head, well, that's synesthesia, which means linked senses. And Richard Cytowick, he's he's a neurologist, he's a specialist in this area, told the story of Michael, who cooked by shape. He had taste and smell synesthesia combined with touch. So he would say things like, the chicken doesn't have enough points after he tasted it. And he'd reach out in front of him to feel those those flavors. He could that was how vivid it was. Now imagine 
A chocolate mint pie through Michael's tastes. He described it as this. This is how specific it got. Twelve smooth glass columns, cool and curvy and deliciously smooth. So much better than my taste, I have to say. (laughs) That's it for this week. Have a great one. For more information on our book, How to Eat Supper, our podcast, and our radio program, The Splendid Table, be sure to visit SplendidTable.org. Have a great week, and we'll be back. 